It's Sunday, the 8th of November. I'm Howard Feldman. This is the Synthesis Sunday podcast. Joining me, as he always does, is Dr. Anton Marburg. It is a very, very hot day in, uh, in Johannesburg today. Is this good for the virus? Is this bad for the virus? In the beginning, when uh, this whole pandemic has started to become uh, all the rage, we couldn't quite figure out if summer was better than winter. Dr. Marburg, good morning. How are you? What's your thoughts on that? Good morning. So I think that summer definitely is a better time frame for us in the, in the Southern Hemisphere due to the fact that people are outside a lot more, the people are socially distancing more outside, and there's less virus replication indoors due to people being outside. There currently are 50,278,660 cases worldwide with 1,256,558 deaths and 35 million cases resolved. The United States has a staggering 10,182,977 cases with 243,000 deaths. And South Africa has 735,906 cases with 19,789 deaths with 1,731 cases in the last 24 hours. Gauteng has 1,853 cases in the hospital at the moment with COVID, of which 164 are in ICU and 75 are ventilated. The United States currently has over 100,000 new cases a day with over 1,000 new deaths, where South Africa has dipped below the 40,000 mark of active cases, where recovery rate is seen at 92%. So it is at this stage looking very good for us here in South Africa. That is correct. What are you seeing in the hospitals? Do you have cases there? So the cases are, are fluttering by. There's maybe one case at a time gets discharged very quickly. At the moment, the hospitals are very quiet, as we saw by the numbers in Gauteng of 164 patients in hospital. The numbers are very low at the moment. Is this because, in, in terms of the hospital cases, is this because there's a lower incidence or are we managing the treatment of COVID better than we were for people at home? I don't know if it's only the management of the treatment. Look, a lot more people are understanding the disease a bit better in the fact that if the oxygen levels are low, they know they need treatment or they know they need someone to help them with what's going on, not necessarily needing to go to hospital. But the amount of people actively positive at the moment are much lower and therefore when you've got a lower testing rate and a lower amount of people positive you have a low amount of people in hospital. Right so we're seeing a tremendous uh, surge in Europe. Uh, we know that uh, France has locked down, uh, we know that the UK has, uh, has uh, uh, also gone into lockdown as of two days or three days ago. What's your thoughts as to what's going on there? Look I think the, the virus is rampant over in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment, okay? And that's once again, is it due to a seasonal affectation? Is it due to winter? Is it due to people being indoors more and people not actually regarding the laws? Are people not social distancing? Are people not wearing masks? And all of the above is true. People aren't wearing masks. People aren't social distancing. People have sort of ignored the virus and thought that it would go away. And now the virus has come back and is hitting them with, with a massive whack. And that's why we're seeing this large amount of people being affected, especially in the United States. I mean, if you look at the United States, you've got 50 states of people where every single state has got their own jurisdiction. So every state decides their own way of handling COVID. There's no national policy. And that's why one of the positive things of Biden coming into power is he wants to localize or centralize the government's control over 
the care of COVID-19. He wants to make mask wearing mandatory across the whole country, not just in certain states. And in that way, he wants to make it one of his number one priorities in his election year. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there without going into the politics of it. And I know that, this, that, that uh, the minute we mention this, it, uh, that does spark it. I, don't, I want to try and keep away from uh, that if possible. Uh, quite an alarming story that I read and I certainly spoke about on my show uh, uh, sometime last week is about this, uh, the infection rate of uh, COVID in minks in Denmark. Now, first of all, I didn't know that mink farming was still legal. I had absolutely no idea. It's a long time since I went shopping uh, necessarily for anything made in mink, from mink. Uh, they, they are about to cull millions and millions of minks because it, they claim that it's affected or infected 400 people. Just explain this to me. So there's a large number of people that have been infected with coronavirus from minks with genetic mutations in the actual virus that they're picking up. So that the virus is actually mutating from the mink and being transferred to the human. And these outbreaks have been noted at mink farms that have persisted in this Nordic country. So they have decided to cull hundreds of thousands of minks. And it's not only in, in Norway, it's also in the Netherlands and in Spain. And this is a major problem. If they don't hit this hard now, there will be genetic mutations and this will spread throughout the Nordic states and throughout the whole of the Europe. And this will be a disaster. So they have to cull these animals now. I mean, let's not kid, as you, as you correctly said, how many people do you know at the moment who are wearing mink coats and that type of thing? But uh, it, mm, it's a big mm. problem. The, the concern around this is that people that are, are affected or infected with this mutation, is, is it very different? Well, it's a different mutation. And what does that mean, practically? It's a different mutation. In other words, it's a different virus strain. And that could be problematic because when you look all over the world, the virus itself, unless it's a reinfection of someone who's traveled overseas and comes back to a different country, it's generally in the country you live in, it's a one-sided strain that, that's maintained and your country and your people are able to maintain that virus. Once it's a different mutation, it causes different affectation, different stress to the body, a different type of catalyst that can cause a different type of reaction and cause dramatic changes in the actual virus shedding in the country. And I would imagine that also impacts on vaccine trials. 100%, because the vaccines are made... success of a vaccine. Yeah, the vaccines mm. are made according to the strain in that country. And that's hopefully, it's the same as the influenza vaccines. Those strains are picked up in the Northern Hemisphere, and then it's sort of sent down to the Southern Hemisphere according to what strains they pick up. But if those mutations change, then those vaccines aren't going to be active against the mutated virus. Isn't this giving is heading more in the direction of COVID-19 becoming like a seasonal flu, maybe more serious and more infectious, but that, that it seems to change and we're going to have to uh, look at a new vaccine for it every year like we do the flu vaccine? You know, I think that that might be correct. As I said, we still have a lot to learn about the virus and about vaccines. And if it is seasonal, which, which it does look like that, the, as I say, the Northern Hemisphere, because they're in the winter months, are having a high affectation with the United Kingdom closing down, with France closing down, it definitely looks like it's a seasonal affectation. It gets much worse there. That being said, we're still getting over 1,700 cases a day in South Africa, despite it not being winter months here. But it's definitely a higher 
pre-selection for the winter months and the countries where it's colder, and uh, it will affect your vaccines and your trials. Let's just spend a moment talking about that. A number of people have asked um, if it's a good idea to become part of the vaccine trial. What's your thoughts on that? So I think we've got to just take it a step back and say that there's a number of big vaccine trials going on at the moment with Pfizer, with Moderna, with AstraZeneca in collaboration with Oxford, with Johnson & Johnson. And these companies basically test their vaccines against a placebo. In other words, they give a typical saline solution in the healthy volunteers to see if the rate of COVID-19 infection is significantly higher than those that actually got the vaccine against the virus. So what they're doing is they're taking healthy people. So if you're a healthy individual below the age of 65 with no comorbidities, it is safe for you to go onto the vaccine trial. These vaccines are, are very important because in order for them to be considered safe and efficacious, they have to demonstrate a 50% efficiency, meaning that at least twice as many infections have to be picked up in the placebo group than those who actually got the ethical vaccine. So mm. I do think it is safe, and I do think it's being done in healthy individuals. If, as I said, if you've got comorbidities, it, it's a no-brainer. Don't go there. Right. Now, the problem, of course, is that you shouldn't be fooled into thinking that you've had the vaccine if you're part of the trial, because you 100%. don't know if you've received the placebo or not. And neither do the researchers know. They don't know who's getting the placebo, and they don't know who's getting the ethical vaccine at that stage. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting. A lot of people also asking questions around December. And I just want to spend a moment on that. The big thing here in South Africa that happens in December for specifically matric students is they go on something called rage. Now, traditionally, there's been huge gatherings where they'd go down, I think it's either to, to Durban or Mschlange, Plett, wherever that would be, and they all get together. I know this year, rage has taken some um, steps to, to create different venues, maybe smaller venues. Uh, but obviously, we know what goes on at these places. And as much as the, the organizers are trying uh, and things will be happening outdoors, etc., there is a risk. If your child was finishing matric and you would ordinarily allow them to go on rage, what do you, would you let them go this year? So I think if we, if we look overseas and look at all the trends, the trends were happening between 18 to 22-year-olds, 18 to 30-year-olds. All these kids are the ones that are socializing, that are not social distancing, and you're getting major spread of the virus. If it was my child going on rage, I wouldn't allow them to go on rage at this, at this stage where we're at. Because you've got young kids who want to be kids, who want to socialize, who want to be with their friends, there's not going to be social distancing. There's not going to be mask wearing. And we're going to see large clusters of infections from these gatherings of the children that will spread to other people. So unfortunately, I would say no. That, that's my own personal opinion. And, and I've got sort of good look, theories of reasons why not because of what we're seeing overseas. And we do know that collections of people, gatherings of people in unprotected and without non-pharmaceutical intervention, these type of things lead to dangerous events. Mm, mm. The use of air conditioning, it's very, very hot at the moment. Um, a few people asking, Lee asking uh, that question, is it safe to use an air conditioning in shuls, in synagogues, in churches, when, when we've got this type of heat? They call these things HVACs, which is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning units. 
And we know that with poor ventilation in a confined space where doors are closed and windows are closed, this is associated with an increased transmission of respiratory infections. What we can say is that in large places like, let's say, synagogues or, or large buildings, it would be probably a better idea to have what we call a HEPA filter, which is a high efficiency particulate air filter, which shows a good response to getting rid of the particles of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. If you're in an office by yourself, in, an, in your own office room, and your air conditioner is serviced monthly, and it's maintained well, and it's cleaned, I see no reason not to use an air conditioner, but I still would open a window and open a door. Despite decreasing the efficacy of the actual air conditioner, it's definitely safer that way. Okay, so in truth, I have no idea what you've just said. If, if <laughs> I'd like to say that I do, but I have no idea whether you think <laughs> it's a good idea or a bad idea to use air conditionings yeah. in, in large environments, churches, synagogues, mosques. I, I do think it's a bad idea unless you've got a HEPA filter, which is a high particulate special type of filter, which is put onto the air conditioner. It's not a normal air conditioning um, filter. It's a so in other words, you can, you can get a different filter to add to the air conditioning unit and then it's safer to use. Then it's much safer to use because then you're not recirculating the air inside the room. It's taking air from outside and pushing it out, but through a filter. All right. So, uh, but if you buy yourself in, in, in a room, if it's its own unit, obviously there's no, no issue there. As long as you keep uh, it open or window open, then there's no issue there. And as mm, long as you service mm. the, the unit. Let's just talk about a, a uh, post-viral syndrome. Uh, long COVID, I think, is the, the other word that they are using. What are you seeing? So we, we're definitely seeing this. This is a, a real phenomenon. And, we, and we've discussed this before, the long COVID syndrome, where people are presenting with fatigue, where people have got shortness of breath, they've got palpitations, they've got chest pain, and it's longer than the average time expected after an infection. So we would normally expect people to be sick maybe or unwell for about four to six weeks. This is going on longer than 12 weeks post-viral infection. And it doesn't matter how severe your infection was or how light your infection was, or if you've got antibodies or not, these people are suffering. People are getting headaches. People aren't able to get up in the morning and they've got fatigue. People who could walk 10 kilometers now struggle to walk two kilometers around the block without having to sit down and actually just pace themselves. I think I've had COVID. I think I've had COVID. No, but then you must have got it about five I years think I've ago. got long COVID. You've got pre-COVID, before COVID. And you've yeah, got long, I'm, I'm a long sufferer. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I was able to do to, to 10 kilometers down to two now. I think proof that's... Of the, pudding. the proof of the wow. pudding. Right, is in the eating. Yes, now I get that. Um, I get that. <laughs> I get that. Well, all right. Uh, Belinda says, I don't know if you've discussed vaccine issues before. Yeah, Belinda, you obviously haven't been watching us. Uh, do we need a vaccine for this thing? Isn't it pretty much fizzling out naturally? So, as we can see, it's definitely not fizzling okay, out. Next naturally. question. <laughs> Moving on. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure how to answer that. Um, uh, uh, Liat says, I've worked for a doctor's practice this week. I can tell you COVID is very much around. Um, uh, Stephen wants to know, when will the sanitizing and social distancing and wearing of masks end? That's a very good question. And until we get a vaccine and until we get the so-called herd immunity, 
that's not going to. And so this is going to go well into 2021, middle of the year at least, without, without a doubt. Who knows if not longer. It all depends on when the phase three trials are, are concluded and when companies like the, the FDA are happy to say the vaccines are safe and efficacious, that they can transfer them across and actually start mass producing them and send them throughout the world. Okay, so here's a question that nobody sent in, but it's actually been bothering me more and more. If you're wearing a mask and you yawn, are you still meant to cover your mouth? No, you don't have to cover your mouth. I mean, I don't, you know, it's an interesting see... question, no? No. I know, but then what happens if we get into a habit of not doing that? I think you must speak to a body language expert. Those people would know better. Yeah, I was actually wondering about. Also, coughing. Are you meant to when you're coughing and you're wearing a mask? Are you meant to put your meant to still cough into your elbow? I think that's a habit. That's it's a habit of coughing into your elbow. Okay, but once again, as I say, mm. it doesn't help to cough into your elbow and then go elbow greet somebody at the same time because <laughs> you know, that just defeats the whole purpose. Right, right, right. The other thing I saw the other day was somebody, you know, they're big sneezers and and small sneezers, and this guy was a big sneezer and he took off his mask to sneeze because he didn't want to sneeze into the mask and I thought well I'm sure we've just missed the whole point here. Well, the latest studies are showing that they, they're doing studies on people who cough and people who cough generate an aerosol of more than six meters so you know we, we, we've got an idea of the social distance one and a half meters but if you're not wearing a mask and you cough you're spreading this this droplet aerosol wow. more wow. than six meters so sneezing which is in a higher force spread in more than six meters. Actually, another interesting question that, that I was wondering the other day, I was walking and a runner ran past me not wearing a mask. And I was wearing a mask. I wasn't sure where, where the safest place to be. Should I cross the road? Should I, you know, was I safe walking past as they were breathing heavily and we passed each other? What should I have done? What's the safest thing to have done? Look, I mean, I've got no issue with a runner who's running by themselves not wearing a mask. But when they come into contact with somebody within two or three meters around them, lift up your buff or lift up your mask mm, so you can protect mm. other people around you. And then take it off straight away. No one's asking you to wear it the whole time if you're running by yourself. But it's just sort of... And the same with walking. You know, you can keep your mask down. If you see 100%. people, if you're by yourself in the street, that's cool. But otherwise, you just, just cross push over your to the other side of the road. It's not a major thing. Right. Okay, um, it, it, interesting indeed. The the numbers in South Africa, where where I know that uh, that you mentioned them a little bit earlier, we definitely haven't seen. You've never said that uh, that we're in a second wave or second surge. No. Uh, we had a little bit of an uptick, but uh, when do you predict if we do have a second surge that it'll be? So. I do believe that the second surge will be early next year, whether it's at the end of January or the end of February, it'll be around there most likely if people don't follow the rules. You know, going on holiday, going on these communal events, going, going with large numbers of people and not wearing masks and not uh, doing social distancing, as well as the fact that you're getting people coming from overseas who are going to be spreading different types of viruses, which is a high possibility, you know, then we should expect a second surge, especially going into March, after March, when it starts getting cold again, when people start congregating together, that's a higher probability for a second surge to happen. So we don't believe a second surge is going to happen now in the next month or two. And please God not, because we all need a holiday so badly. So we've really got to maintain it and just 
just you know mm. watch ourselves and watch everybody yeah. around us. Well, what we're going to do here is cancel the podcast if that starts happening, so that we don't even talk about it. We pretend it doesn't exist until we've all gone on holiday and come yeah, back. Yeah. Then we're ready to face twenty twenty one. I think that's the healthiest, that's the healthiest attitude. We'll just put a mask over. Exactly. A point that you that you made last week, and a number of people questioned it after after we spoke, is that the quarantine period um, for travellers from certain countries, uh, depending on on how that country is is uh, allocated, some countries you need to to uh, um, quarantine, some countries you don't. I think every country you pretty much need a negative COVID uh, uh, a certificate or test. What's your feeling around that? I know we've got family coming in um, in December. They're only here for two weeks. There's no chance that they're going to be able to quarantine in order just to go back. They will have a COVID test, well, presumably negative before they get here. But but what's your thought around that? So I mean, this changes on a daily on a daily basis. You know, we're having different ideas and different thoughts about it. And all the academics get together and they make different decisions. Initially, we said they should quarantine for 14 days, albeit the law is that you don't have to quarantine in South Africa if you come with a negative test. I think after discussing with a number of people, what's safest and the safest mm. thing to probably do is quarantine for five days and then have a test. If the test is negative, go out and do what you need to do. That's the safest way, because then at least we can say, you've come with a negative test. If you yeah. were somehow exposed in the airport or on the airplane, you've now had five days and you've had a negative test after that, the chances are extremely unlikely. I know that, um, that uh, people like um, Prof Mahdi and Mark Mendelson, they all want to scrap um, this whole thing. And they say that international travel should be allowed. There should be no problems with it. Um, we'll see, time will tell, but I think that's probably the easiest way to do it is cutting it down to a five-day period mm. with a negative test. You know, it depends what sort of environment you're in, you know, if you're in a school environment or if you're in a business environment, but if you really have a large amount of people to protect, you can say if people don't want to do the test after five days, then they should quarantine for 14 days. But this mm. is an easy way to do it. It's easy sort of get out of jail free. Five days, negative test, and you're out of, you're out of your quarantine after yeah. traveling internationally. Is testing easily available everywhere in the country? Testing is easily available right now. There's no massive influx of people having tests. Mm -hmm. and there's no, no need like there was in July and August of people sick all the time. So testing is easily available. And that's why we're saying that now, this is what we would recommend. In a month's time, two months time, we'll change. Who knows? But I mean, this is an evolving virus. This is evolving yeah. data. Things change on a daily basis. And we just got to keep up to date with it. In fact, I've also noticed, and I think I mentioned last week that Israel, has cut their quarantine down from 14 days to 12 days. Yeah, I so saw this that, yeah. all the time. Mm. The, the other thing that's bothering me tremendously is, is as a self-confessed hypochondriac, and, and I've really it's been a, a lifelong journey of, uh, into hypochondria, if I haven't had a single COVID test in the eight or nine months of this pandemic, will I lose my status as a hypochondriac, do you think? So I think that's a very tough one, you know, because, mm. I mean, People will start talking about you and people will start making jokes about you. So I think you've got to really consider mm. where mm. you stand on this. Mm. Mm. The other question uh, Peter wants to know, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa is uh, allegedly, potentially, possibly, maybe going to be speaking definitely, um, if he confirms, speaking to the nation later this week. Uh, obviously, you can't know what he's going to say because he probably has no idea what he's going to yeah. say. But if you were 
the president and you were standing up to address South Africa, what would you say? And that's not a tough one at all. Um, no, no, no. Look, I would probably say that we are happy with the way things are going in South Africa. People need to still maintain their non-pharmaceutical interventions. We need to make sure people wear their masks, they need to have hand hygiene, they need to have social distancing. But if I, if I was by some weird way uh, elected as president, I would say that it is my job to make sure that there's enough PPE for the country, there's enough diagnostic kits for the country, and there's enough medication for the country. I mean, I would hope that he would say that he's going to set up an infrastructure to develop vaccines in South Africa. Now, I'm not saying that's phase one, phase two. I'm saying that's already developed vaccines that he will bring into the country and start developing them locally so that we've got enough of a supply in the country to supply the whole country. Because we know that when the vaccines are formed, South Africa is one of the poorer countries will go lower down the list for actually getting yeah. the vaccines. I would hope he would say that we continue on level one lockdown and not go up. I think it would be a grave mistake to go up on, on, on lockdown from an economic point of view. And I just hope that we can prevent a, a second surge. And, and you would hope that he would say with great power, as my favorite saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. And the responsibility lies upon us to make sure that we don't spread the virus further. Absolutely. Uh, before we, we ask you your good news, I have heard some discussions around weddings, bar mitzvahs, functions uh, happening. I know some of them have been very responsible in terms of how they've been managed, others less so. Uh, I know that that we don't want to give, I mean, this. we are giving, we are lecturing and we are giving people advice. Uh, we don't want to make people feel poorly about themselves or around their, their function. But, but what is your advice to people? Because these things can be very problematic. Look, we do know the laws have changed. You're allowed to have many more people indoors and indoor functions, but that in itself is its own problem. So if you are going to be doing it, do it responsibly. Make sure you put masks on everybody's table, give them masks, let them wear their masks, socially distance the people between the meals, you know, you've got to protect people. You've got to have ventilation in these halls. You've got to have a way to protect people. And especially when it comes to the dancing at, the, at, these, at these ceremonies, you've got to make sure people social distance as much as possible because otherwise we're going to get a massive spread. We know that the major spreads were in, were in community gatherings and social gatherings. Mm -hmm. and you've got to be very careful. You have a responsibility. If you're having a function, you have a responsibility to protect every single person at that function as if they were your own so that they don't spread anything further. And, uh, and of course, also keep uh, your vitamin regime up, vitamin C, zinc, and... Uh, and I think and, that goes uh, to, our, to, our, to our good yeah. news slots, you know. Today uh -huh. is actually National Cappuccino Day. So really? you should go and enjoy and get a hot, frothy cup of Java. Um, you know, it's almost the end of the year. Our matrix are out in the exams. Our kids are back at school. We're getting ready to go on holiday. We need to maintain this and make sure the numbers stay down. And of course... I'd be once again remiss by not saying, but mm -hmm. Liverpool's mm -hmm. summer signing from Wolves of Diogo Jota has in the best possible way put the cat amongst the pigeons as far as Jurgen Klopp's forwards have gone. And to quote, I'm a coffeeholic on the road to recovery. Just kidding. I'm on the road back to the coffee shop. Have a good week. Be safe and look after yourselves. 
I'm Howard Feldman. This has been the Sunday Synthesis Podcast. Next week, we are going to focus on holidays, how you can best prepare for your holiday, depending on whether you're going to a hotel, to self-catering, or anything else. So please uh, feel free to send us your questions. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you can get a notification of when these videos are available. Have a fantastic day. Have a fantastic week. Be safe, and we'll see you next Sunday. Have a good one.